Sex Chat with Kim Ayers is proudly sponsored by CalExotics, the world's first woman-owned adult pleasure products manufacturer, The Magic Wand, the longtime favorite massager of millions, and NAS Toys, providing your sexual pleasure from head to toe. All of our fabulous sponsors' products are available at grandopening.com. Hi there, it is Kim Ayers here from <laughs> Sex Chat with Kim Ayers, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am super excited to have an amazing guest who wrote an amazing book, and I keep, could keep saying amazing, and I'm going to let her tell you about it. It's Kate Laurie, L-M-F-T, and she's going to tell you what those letters stand for, too. <laughs> so take it away. You've written such a great book. We'll talk about it all this episode. Thank you so much, Kim. So yes, I'm Kate Laurie, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been doing therapy for about 20 years. I specialize in being a sex positive psychotherapist. So Yay. I specialize in uh, folks that are kinky, non-monogamous, uh, porn performers, escorts, LGBTQ. Those are my specialties. Um, I'm also a trauma therapist, so a lot of my clients come to me for that. Um, I specialize in EMDR. I'm also a certified art therapist. You know, I might have a client who's like, say, uh, many of those, those things in one person, like a porn performer who's kinky and non-monogamous, who maybe has a trauma history and a mood disorder and, you know, wants, wants help with their relationship. I might have one client that embodies all my specialties. That's that's super common. And so I wrote a book called Open Deeply, a guide to conscious, compassionate, open relationships. Amazing. And <laughs> yeah. And, and one reason I wrote that is because a lot of my clients, they come in, they've already, my clients are super bright. So they come in on the first session. They've already read The Ethical Slut. They've already read Tristan Terramino's book and all of that. And you know, those are both brilliant 101 books, right? That help you reduce shame and help you just open your mind. But at, at that point, they are coming in and they already feel lost. They're like, those books, you know, they, they don't, I love them, but they don't address what's going on in our relationship. And so Open Deeply is definitely the 102 book. It, it like, it, you know, it's filled with vignettes and purposeful examples. And another thing that I'll, I'll just say, um, so I'm not too long-winded, is that one thing that I noticed um, when I went into my private practice, so I had been a therapist for about a good 10 years when I went into my private practice in 2011, and quickly I noticed that couples therapy and trauma therapy tend to run parallel rather than be integrated. Oof. And the reason that that's problematic is the main thing that keeps two people or four people, if you're talking about a quad, from being close is unresolved trauma. And so this book very much bridges the two. And you may think to yourself, trauma, I don't need, I don't have trauma. I haven't been in, I, don't, I haven't been through two tours of duty in the war. You know, anybody who has gone through a divorce or had parents that have gone through a divorce or anything like that, that is a trauma and traumas can be low T traumas and big traumas. So this, this book, one, one, one other thing that I'll say is that with non-monogamy, it pokes at our unresolved attachment injuries Ooh. way more than monogamy. And so this is why the bridge between uh, relationship therapy and trauma therapy is so key. And so once, you know, so the whole book lays out, you know, the, the key attachment styles and then talks about 
Like, how do you manage your unresolved attachment injuries in your non-monogamous relationship, amongst other things? I could just listen to this for days. I mean, <laughs> really, because this is the whole thing. I mean, you brought up so much things that people just have never addressed, you know, especially in therapy or the therapist's don't have the tools to work with that. So mm -hmm. I see this not only a book that's written for a personal person, but also for therapists as well. Because once you bring up with a lot of therapists, the non-monogamy thing or open, they're like, oh, you know, couples counseling, couples counseling, you know, mm -hmm. without really addressing everything. And that's something that I was really, really impressed with when I was looking in the book. It makes you feel like you're not alone, which I think is really important and something that you touched upon. And it makes you feel, or I'll put first person, you know, um, it makes me feel normal and accepted for making my choices because I'll give you a funny personal example is, so I've been married. I have never been monogamous. I can't I just can't do it, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so when I was married, that's kind of a deal breaker, as mm -hmm. probably as you can imagine. Uh, seven and a half years, it was great, you know, no kids and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, so one time I was grousing to my brother because my family all knows that I'm, you know, not black sheep, but different, let's say, than right. right. And so, and so I said to my brother, you know, sometimes it would be nice to come home and you know, have somebody there, make me dinner. His response was, maybe you should become monogamous. And I looked at him, I said, I would rather die. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do that, you know? And I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. You know, but anyway, so so it's, it's really funny because, not funny, haha, but I mean, this is the whole thing is just, you know, what works for you. And I think that that's something that you probably do a lot of is what works for the particular client or patient or how do you refer to your uh, people? Like, you know, when you're talking about a hospital clinic, then it's patients. But if right. you're talking about a private practice, it's clients. So that, that's the difference. Oh, that's between... good. That's like the difference between jail and prison. I didn't know that until somebody I know landed <laughs> in prison and I called it jail. He's like, well, no, not really. Is in case you're wondering, jail is before you've been sentenced and prison is afterwards. Learn everything <laughs> at Sex Chat with Kim Ayers. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, so that's really good because I didn't really know kind of exactly which one you refer to. So that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And in my personal life, I just, you know, so listeners know, I mean, I've identified as non-monogamous since 2003. Before that, I was in an 11 year monogamous relationship and I went almost straight from an 11-year monogamous relationship to a 13-year non-monogamous and, and uh, non-monogamous relationship and marriage and that ended in 2016 and since then I've I've been kind of you know a dating cat lady kind of trying to figure out what's next but uh and writing my book which actually was perfect timing because when you have someone living with you it's hard to write a book that's as compre comprehensive and has as much breadth and depth as this book does and so it gave me that space to just sit there with my cats around me and and make this book that took five years to write, you know? Isn't that so? And you are wearing a leopard print dress today. I will let everybody know. <laughs> so she is really, that's for sure. That's it, the cat thing going on. Um, that's so interesting. And what I loved about the book or love about the book is that um, you do include a lot of your personal information. Mm -hmm. And I think so many therapists do not go there mm -hmm. and and they consider it you know against professional ethics you know and things like that and that was actually one of the questions i had for you was uh it always bugs me when a therapist withholds personal information that may help their client but in a way that will be supportive and helpful 
Yeah. So what are your thoughts about this? I mean, I know you go into it in your book, but in your practice, the same? Well, this is what I'd say. I, I'd say it, it depends on the therapist, and it I think it depends on the type of therapist. When you think about the term sex positive, at least to me, I, I think of it as a social justice movement. You know, it's not just saying, oh, well, I'm positive about sex. It's, you know, a lot of people that I know, they're into sex positivity. There are leaders. They're also fighting for Black Lives Matter and like all right, these other issues. Sure. It's very much a social justice issue. And a big part of that social justice uh, agenda is reducing sexual shame and breaking down what uh, the religious right and patriarchy has tried to to instill, which is sexual shame. Because when you instill sexual shame, what I found in my practice is that, I'll just say that clients that are riddled with sexual shame, what I've found is that they don't trust themselves about anything, not just sex. It extends way beyond that. And so when you realize that, that if you instill sexual shame in a person, that they just literally do not trust themselves across the board, then you realize why the religious right has either consciously or unconsciously tried to instill sexual shame. Because if you can do that, then you can puppeteer a person or a nation. Yes, and that sounds a lot of the um, thinking behind the book Sex at Dawn by Christopher yeah. Ryan. Yeah. You know, and the whole religious part of it obviously played a big key in that. And it's mm -hmm. really something how much this shit sticks. Yeah. People. And I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of that. And like you said, when you drill down further, that trauma, I mean, trauma could be religious upbringing, parental mm -hmm. upbringing. I mean, just go down the list, you know, right. and stuff. And, and you kind of, don't realize, I mean, you know, because I've spoken to tons of people, obviously, with the work that I do of um, just something their first partner had when they not had, but said to them when they lost their virginity in their teens, that is still sticking with them. And oh, like, yeah. Yeah. And they don't think of that as traumatic. But in the back of their mind, you know, when they're having sex with a partner, with whoever, like it's there. Right, right. And that's why, you know, when you asked me that question, I said, well, it depends on what type of therapist you are. When you're a sex positive therapist, I think that's almost, I, I would say ethically, it's your job to disclose more about your private life because when you hide everything, it kind of, even if you don't mean it this way, it kind of sends a message that you're ashamed. It's like if you're trying to break down sexual shame, then you need to model being someone that's not sexually ashamed of themselves. Hallelujah. You know, so that, that's part of it. And in, so I try and convey that in my book. In, in my private practice, it's a little bit different where I don't just sit there and yammer on about myself unless it serves a purpose and it's helpful Great. to the client. Great. That's really good. That's like, you know, with me reviewing sex toys and stuff. And I mean, I've worked as a professional dominatrix and things. Like, I say I walk the walk and talk the talk because I can't tell you how many people are in the industry, manufacturers, reviewers and things that actually don't use the product. Right. You know, or like BDSM. If I'm going to teach about BDSM, it's personal experience stuff or right. G-spot or just go down the list because that's I've got that experience and I want to share it in a positive way. And I think right. that that's something that when somebody wants to I'll use the word confront, even though that might not be the right word, uh, when they want to deal or whatever with these issues to to be able to confide in their therapist or the person that they're talking to and get a non-judgmental answer. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how important that is. It's so funny because a lot of times when I do speaking is I'll say, you know, if you feel so compelled to go to a sex therapist, 
at least go to one that looks like they're getting laid. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why you would you say know? that. Because you go to these meetings sometimes and it's like, uh, did you just read How to Rub a Quitteris on a Textbook or <laughs> just check in? Well, well yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. You know, when you're getting, when you're studying to be a therapist, a lot of times they say, well, you don't have to be a particular type of person to, to treat that particular person. When it comes to non-monogamy and kink and all that, that gets really sketchy. I mean, I'll give this analogy. If you wanted to go to Rome, would you hire a travel guide that was an experienced travel guide, but they had never been to Rome? Or would you hire one that had been to Rome? It's kind of like that, that sort of difference, you know? Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think my personal experience is the bad and especially the the especially the bad, but the good too. Mm-hmm, both sure. really help with with clients that are struggling in some way. For sure, it's funny because I have a, a similar thing. Is you wouldn't buy a book from an illiterate bookseller, would you? Right. It's yeah. The same thing, you know. Yeah. It's like me with the sex toys and you with your work and everything like that. So, so that makes total sense. So, anybody listening, make sure you keep that in mind too. And so, yeah, I mean, you kind of touched upon it earlier. When did it become apparent that a book like this, the one that you wrote, Open Deeply, was needed? And when did you decide to tackle the topic? You know, I had the book in my head for like years before I started writing it. I had to go to Jordan Woolen, who who is um, a sex positive hypno, uh, hypnotherapist. Oh, uh-huh. uh, I went to her once. I started my, writing my book the very next day. I went to her two more times for good measure. But honestly, I started writing the book the very next day um, and kept writing it. But I'd had the book in my head for, for years. Um, you know, the book tackles so many different things that are important. I I mean, one piece that I'll say is back when I was introduced to non-monogamy back in 2003, um, it was introduced by my now ex-husband. And there's a lot of amazing things about that relationship. He, he's a bit of a male muse. Like he could see things in me before I could see them in myself. And he really helped me be my best self. But he was kind of the mute, like if I was going to give you an analogy, he's a kind of a muse that's more like being tied to a bull that's that's going through a china shop really fast. You know, he was not a gentle human being in, in terms of how he introduced me to things. And back then in 2003, I wasn't aware of the ethical slut. So even though I was in school to be a therapist, to be a therapist, you know, as most of you guys know, like a lot of master's programs don't talk about sex, you know, Um Anyway, so I wasn't getting any kind of guidance specific to this. Um, And so I had to learn the hard way. So a a lot of writing this book was definitely trying to help all the people that are kind of like 30-year-old me back then. But I also noticed that a lot of clients that have been non-monogamous for 20 years were still making the same mistakes. And I was seeing similar mistakes over and over again. So the book will help a, a new person, but definitely a person that's been non-monogamous for a long time. Completely, because that's something like, I'm totally going to use this as a reference book for people, because yes. people do not understand the the choice of being non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's like in my DNA. It's not, it's yeah. kind of like being queer is that it's not a choice. I mean, right. it's kind of like, this is who I am, you know, yeah. that type of thing. And that's how I see it. It's funny. So, I mean... Th- 
I keep saying it's funny because I, I use the word funny because I like it, but sometimes it just means odd or intriguing to me too. And what I find is, you know, because being non-monogamous and having a primary partner or, or something like this, um, the the um, way I think of it in my head is many years ago, there was a cartoon character called Cat Dog. Oh, I'm not familiar. I, okay, so Cat Dog, one end's a cat and the other's a dog. <laughs> So that's it. So it's cat dog. And what happens is when they get into fights, yeah. it's like, you know, that's hilarious. And they oh keep my God. Doing this. And this is how I am around jealousy. Oh, is I feel like cat dog because there's no room for jealousy. There's mm -hmm. room for happiness. But damn it, that damn jealousy keeps cropping up. You know, yeah. it's, to me, it's not debilitating for me. Right. But I know for other people, they're like, yeah, yeah. let's try the non-monogamy thing. Go to a swingers thing. And then, wait a minute, you were fucking somebody else. And it looked like you were having a really good time and stuff. And I mean, anybody can say that. Yeah, I'm putting right. on a male voice. But of course, that is anybody. Right. And stuff. So, so I always laugh going, uh, okay, here's cat dog in my head. Just stop right there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a lot of things that you address too. And I really think, what do you think actually? Do you think jealousy around that is one of the major breaking points in a non-monogamous relationship? Well, you know, I actually, if I were to back up, I would say um, partner choice a lot of times is because you know let's face it you've been non-monogamous long enough to have seen couples that love each other well they're not just in love they love each other well you know whether mm -hmm. you're talking about two people or a triad or whatever you're looking at mm -hmm. and so the way their non-monogamous journey goes is is way happier and and they have a smile on their face and a light in their eye and you can and they're relaxed in their body and you can see it you can see it you can see they're doing non-monogamy well and then there's, see, I say that, but then a lot of the couples that aren't doing it well, you think that they are on social media at the, you know, oh. at the play party, they look all bright and shiny, but then behind closed doors, there's something else going on. And a lot right. of times, you know, you'll get these couples will pair up where one person is like a self-entitled, uh, overtaking narcissist and they will choose the overgiver who you know and and the narcissist is drawn to non-monogamy because it, it is a fuel source you know all you have to do is look at trump at a at a rally that rally with everyone adoring him is his fuel source he is just shooting no. up shooting up man <laughs> right it's like a heroin yeah, addict or something funny. and so for a narcissist you know someone with narcissism uh, being non-monogamous is a fuel source, all the potential lovers. And so they'll choose a lot of times a partner that's not only an overgiver, but also it will give them access in some way to the fuel source. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is to choose someone like that. And then also themselves, if they're an overgiver, to uh, give so much that they are not watching their own self-care boundaries. You know, so I, w I would say that's the worst kind of situation that I usually see within non-monogamy more than uh, topics of jealousy. Like, obviously, things like that play out. But I think partner choice is like one of the biggest mistakes people make. That's a really good one. And and I think of, you know, the places where I've seen that in action. And like you say, it can look all really good on the cover and things like that. But when some of us might be a little bit more keen to that stuff, like, uh, eh, there's something else, you know, uh, you just want to kind of take mm -hmm. them to the side, but you know, yeah. So I can totally see that as being a, 
a big issue, and I'm, I'm thinking I could just be going quiet and start thinking, but we have lots, couple more questions and all things like this. I just, I, I am so thrilled and overjoyed that this book is out, open deeply, and we'll talk about how well it's doing because it's you. like super great towards Thank the end. Um, because that's the thing is that there's so much judgment. I mean, I was there, of course, when Ethical Slot came out. Janet's been a really good longtime friend of mine with Greenery Press mm-hmm. and things, and uh, I remember that was such a groundbreaker. And, um, but yet it got criticized a little bit and not because, because of its focus. Mm. So I'm just really happy that, yes, like you said, this is the 102 because this book really needs to be written. Something that I'm really happy about is that I think it's totally a generational thing is that the younger generation, you know, being non-monogamous or, you know, what, uh, consciously, yeah, conscious open relationships. Mm -hmm. I love that term. Because Mm -hmm. non-monogamy, I think, has the, like, the sins behind it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, when you get married and you pledge monogamy and all shit like that, you know, Uh as opposed to an open relationship. I mean, because then I also think, too, is it an open relationship is not necessarily sexual. Mm -hmm. It can be open relationship like your BFF. If you're one gender, it's the opposite gender or another gender that's the same as your partner. And, and that poses no threat to your relationship with right. your partner. So yeah. I think this book goes even way deeper, too, than mm-hmm. just the sex thing. And I really hope that, that people see it that way, too, is that it's yeah. open relationships with somebody else that you have this great intimate relationship, whether or not it's physical. Yeah, it, it's interesting how non-monogamy is going because, you know, or, or when you look at millennials, I'm 53. So when I look at millennials in so many ways, I think they're, you know, just as a group, they're so amazing in terms of how they connect with each other with social justice and they're breaking down the rigidity of gender norms and like breaking rigidity in a lot of ways. And yet, and maybe it's not the millennials that are doing this, yet I've seen certain factions of non-monogamy or open relationships, like people that are thought leaders that are skewing towards making a word like polyamory or making a word like non-monogamy a certain dogma. And to me, any of these things should be a tailored-made coat. Like each individual, each couple, each triad should be figuring out what works for them, you know? Uh, rather than thinking, you know, and the word polyamory in my mind should stay with the, you know, a definition similar to that, you know, it it means that you are non-monogamous in terms of love and sexuality. Uh, Perhaps you may not be having sex with other people, Mm -hmm. you know, or or like swing lifestyle that you're sexually non-monogamous and emotionally romantically monogamous like define it like that versus turning it into a dogma like you know because as soon as it's a dogma then you're either doing your poly right or wrong and i'm seeing a lot of that i was just gonna say that i see that and you know yeah it's hip and cool that people are doing that but yet there still is that too it's like well i'm more poly than you type of thing and it's like yeah i mean when when the intention is when it's tricky, right? Because For sure. sometimes they're talking about couples privilege. And of course, you know, couples privilege, 
like any kind of privilege can cause so much harm. I think anybody who has been non-monogamous long enough has, has experienced, I mean, I know I have, where the, the couple butters you up and they tell you all the sweet things. And then after you have sex with them, oh. they are falling asleep, snuggling and hardly even looking at you as you have your tail between your legs and you grab your clothes and you leave. You know, it's yeah. like the, that couple's privilege where they don't even seem to see the water that they swim in as they treat you as a subhuman. Things like that totally need to be addressed. But when it gets so large that it becomes just as rigid as monogamy, you know, we're supposed to be skewing towards breaking down rigidity and allowing people personal choice. And when it gets that rigid, then then it's almost like we're becoming the other side of the same coin, rigid coin. I totally agree with you on that. Um, I think I see that when I go to like a swingers event mm -hmm. and um, I love it to pieces. Don't get me wrong. Hedonism in Jamaica mm -hmm. is you see that a lot, you know, with couples is especially let's say it's quote unquote a straight couple and the guy wants to see his wife with another girl, but me suck a cock never, you know, and you're yeah. like, ah, you know, pal and stuff. So, and it's kind of, it's, it's the whole one penis policy, all that stuff. It's kind of like a lot of that. Yeah. For years and years and years, most when I was in Boston, um, I threw safe sex parties mm -hmm. and that was definitely where the poly lifestyle was celebrated. Mm -hmm. let's say and um and the fact that it was safe sex it was non-negotiable so everybody mm -hmm. had to do it even if you were with your longtime partner and not having sex with other people but that was really i know an eye-opener for a lot of people like they'd be really nervous going there for the first time and then afterwards you'd be like oh my god it was life-changing and i said yeah the romans have been doing this since you know how many ad right right and things and i think that that's something that when people acknowledge that this isn't new, right? You know the whole open relationships thing, and you know having pleasurable sex, and 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 maybe getting more intimate with the other person, you know, and stuff like that. Totally. And, and it is possible to do it in a conscious, compassionate way. You know, when we start to understand, when we become consciously aware of our past attachment injuries and how those can get t triggered in the relationship when uh, you know right. as you probably know i have a, uh an epic communication model that integrates uh grounding all throughout it so that you know any two people that are having a hard conversation are, are grounded and centered while they're having that conversation which is lacking in in oh in the mago dialogue and nonviolent communication and they never say oh by the way if you're dysregulated in your body probably what even if you're dealing with a brilliant communication model everything's probably going to be a train wreck and so often we are dysregulated dysregulated in our body especially if our unresolved attachment injuries are getting poked this is so this is conversation deeply it's so <laughs> true and i think you know the communication model that can be applied to anything yeah you know one person's you know doing more work at the house than the other person or right. or just kind of anything that gets in the way of two people or or more even obviously that having conversations that are painful around this you know looking at a book and going okay let's all take a breath here let's do you know and things is i mean this book i, I cannot say this enough it's so fucking brilliant there's so thank many you. amazing good parts of it i've got goosebumps i'm not kidding thank you and i might even cry because something like this really needs to be out there oh, thank you and it just really it's there's so much in it there's so much the references in the back 
the the advice, the knowledge, the the depth, the honesty. I mean, it's just really, it's really a spectacular book. And I, even if it's something that you're toying with, or even not, even if you're in a monogamous relationship, look at this book because there's so much in it that's just relationship building. Mm-hmm. No matter if you're with two or more people. I mean, this is the whole thing. This is what I just really, just really am so happy and so amazed and so proud that this book is out in the community. I really am. Thank you. Thank you. So let's hear about like where they can get the book and how well it's doing. That's pretty exciting. And yeah. your social media and all website and all that good stuff. Let's yeah. See. So you can buy Open Deeply wherever books are sold. You can certainly get it at Amazon. But if you're buying the paperback, I'd really encourage you to uh, buy from a local bookstore like here in LA, maybe Skylight Books or Boop. Uh, book soup or you know village well where I, where I got mine we we chatted a little bit before that is that we love our brick and mortar bookstores yes. so get it there and then also it makes them aware of the title as well yeah. so maybe they're like oh huh, this looks interesting yeah you know makes um, them aware of it and then on social media I mean honestly you can just type in Kate Lurie and I'll pull up l-o-r-e-e but like on Instagram and TikTok TikTok it's open deeply with Kate Lurie Oh, good. Okay, that's good, too. So those are the, your good social and your website is... Is, is katelarie.com. Again, Excellent. L-O-R-E-E. Which is great. I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't stress this book enough. Um, it, for me, it just, it, like, every page was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh this is so good. Oh, this is good. I was going to start <laughs> highlighting it, and I thought, I'm going to highlight the whole freaking book. So, <laughs> so I didn't do that. I'm just like, it's all going to go into my head and just really, like I, like I said, I'm going to use it as a reference to people because people use me as a reference. Like, okay, how, you know, and it's like, look at this book. I mean, because this is, it just... It just works for so many, so many people. And I'm just so happy and proud of this book. And I can't thank you enough for being here. And thank you for having me on. I I feel honored to be on your podcast. So thank you so much. Great. So thanks so much, Kate Lurie. I'm so glad I got your pronunciation of your last name right, too. And um, yeah, so here's this great episode of Sex Chat with Kim Ayers. And don't forget to get the book. Get the book. It'll be the best sex toy. Well, best sex anything you'll have in a while (laughs) okay (laughs) thanks a lot kate thank you get the laugh track going because now it's time for a joke of the podcast yay so one time this teenage boy goes to the pharmacy and he asks uh i'd like to buy some condoms and the pharmacist says how many how much do you want and he's like um uh, uh five dollars worth. So he rings up five dollars and it comes out to five dollars and thirty-five cents. And the kid says, What's the thirty-five cents for? And the pharmacist says, Well, it's for the tax. And the kid says, Oh, I always wondered how you kept them on. Uh, <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> there you go. Enjoy. Hey, and now it's the part of the podcast answering a listener question. Yeah, you can send me a question. You can email me, Kim Ayers Sex Chat, that's with two S's, at gmail.com, or DM me on Twitter at Kim Ayers, A I R S, 
or Instagram at, wait a minute, you guessed it, Kim Ayers. Thank God there's only one of me, I'll tell you. So that's all my social handles and just do a Google search. But anyway, back to the listener question. All right, I hear this one a lot. And again, if I've heard a question more than once, if I hear it from you, then it's a new question to me. So please don't think I'm disregarding it, saying, oh, I've heard this before. But obviously, it's a concern that comes up frequently. And it's from a guy who shall be unnamed. And his question is this. There's lots of dildos and sex toys out on the market. My girlfriend has a lot of them. How can I compete with that? Oof. So... Yeah, I think the big key word here is compete because it's not a competition. It's not like you're bigger, you're smaller, you're wider, you're thinner, you know, or anything like that. It's these are toys. So think of it like when you were kids, right? And you had toys and you like to play with toys instead of with a partner or you like to play with the toys with the partner or things like that. Think of it that way, that the toys are there to enhance your relationship, not compete with you. And this is really important. I mean, Gosh, if you look into the timing of sexual arousal and experience between men and women, it's different. So men are pretty quick. Women take a little bit longer. So think of it like, oh, I can use these to prolong her pleasure. Oh, yeah. And just to kind of lay back and enjoy the ride. I mean, the times that I've had really great sex with partners, like he'll be done and then It'll be like, let's crack out the toys and I'll just keep riding that wave for ooh, for a while. So that's it. It's not a competition at all. A lot of times just, you know, a, a lot of times get your get a sex toy that you can share. Like find find out what she might like that maybe she doesn't have and say, oh, okay. Like if she's like, oh, I've got a clit toy, but I'd really like to use a suction toy. Well, that gives you a clue right then and there to go to grandopening.com and get a suction toy because maybe she'd like that. Also too, a suction toy mimics oral sex. So you can always use a suction toy and then go back to, you have to make the sound effects, you know, go to back to doing the real thing with the real body and then go to the suction toy. Same thing with a vibrator is that you can be having penetrative sex and doing that and then be like, okay, and then crack out the sex toy and start using that too. You can alternate them. It's great fun. And it's like, oh, which <laughs> I just thought of something. So, so one time, at least once, I mean, it was probably more than that. I played guess which is what? And it was between using a dildo and the real person. And it would be like, okay, that's real. Okay, that's real. Is that, is that a dildo? I think that's the dildo inside because, <laughs> you know, it got warmed up from using it and stuff. So maybe you can try that is, hey, let's experiment which is real and which is me and which is the toy. <laughs> so you can do that. That Think of them as toys. I mean, you can tell by my enthusiasm just how much I love toys and sex toys. I mean, I just, I didn't want to just only say sex toys because like I like wind up toys. I just, toys, they fascinate me and they always have. And so sex toys, same thing, let me tell you. So you're not in competition with any sex toy out there. Think of it as a partner in pleasure and have a lot 
of fun. And then also too, don't think of a toy of only to use on your partner. You might want to get one that you'd like to use yourself and have your partner use it with you and on you and in you and you get where I'm going with this. So yeah, so think of them as toys and it'll totally change your attitude around not ever competing with a sex toy again. Promise. Thanks a lot. And you know, you can get your question answered. Just email Kim Ayers Sex Chat at gmail.com, two S's in the middle, or DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Kim Ayers. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe. Just hit that little subscribe button and give it a five star rating on Apple. And be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, partner your dog. Well, you know, anyone who likes sex, thinks about it, wants to know more, you know, pretty much everybody. So subscribe, sex chat, Kim Ayers, and tell your friends. Thanks a lot.